Welcome to another episode of At Home with Leaders, this series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance and what they're doing now with a little bit more time on their hands and what they're planning to do when sport finally returns to all of our lives. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We're delighted that this podcast is supported by Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation. Now, you'll know from previous episodes that like many people my age, I'm personally a huge fan of the game. But more importantly, Football Manager is built on the largest and most comprehensive database in world football, featuring more than 350,000 active players and staff across 51 countries and compiled with more than 1,300 scouts. In today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels to help identify talent to optimise their recruitment process. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. In a moment, we'll be diving into a conversation with Chris Powell, discussing his career, his work with England and his thoughts on the sport in this current climate. The current state of play in sport has been a popular topic among our members in our leaders' virtual roundtables the last few weeks, with the future of coaching, the evolving world of high performance and the art of emotion all up for discussion. If you'd like to find out more about joining a Leaders Virtual Roundtable and becoming a member of our unrivaled network of the world's high-performance community that challenges thinking and shares insights spanning all sports and all aspects of the performance, then please visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. It's also a pleasure to have my co-host alongside me once again, is top sports psychologist, friend and colleague, Mr. Michael Caulfield. How are you today, Michael? I'm very well, thank you, Matt, because... My beloved sport is peeking its head from behind the curtains and it's looking okay. So it, it's good to be back talking about sport and all the issues around it. I don't disagree. That's good to hear. Uh, I'm excited about this one today because our guest is an experienced manager, player and currently the assistant coach for the England national football side. It's Chris Powell. Chris, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Where in the world are you and what's your working from home setup like? It's <laughs> a good question. I've found my office at home again because I tend to dump everything in my office all my books, all my papers from my various clubs. And I've actually seen this office more than in the previous 13 years I've lived in this house. So uh, it's actually really good. You know, I've got a good setup. It's away from everyone, even a dog. So no one can hear my conversations, whether I'm, you know, online or on Zoom. And of course, that's a new way of working, Zoom, which I actually think is going to be really progressive for the world instead of traveling halfway around the country, we would just stay at home and communicate that way. Why didn't we do it before? But it has been different, but I've learned quite a lot, to be honest. Uh, and more importantly, more about myself during this enforced break. So, um, yeah, it's been enlightening, I should say. Well, you know, you, we mentioned just before we jumped on that you've, you've had time to reflect. What, what have your, been, your, your kind of key reflections, if you look back over the last few months of, of the situation and, and how you've had to work, but also how you've just you know, been thinking in a different way? Well, I think family, I think the world, I think the the country we live in. There's been so many factors, so many things that maybe we didn't think about previously. Relationships, um, what we're doing to the environment, how we live, how we treat each other. I really think that's been at the forefront of not only my mind, but plenty of others because we've had time. We don't normally have this four-letter word, time. We don't have it, whether when we're managing uh, whether we're in our daily lives, whether we're at school, we don't always put enough time aside for the real important things, which, you know, I said right at the start is family, 
friends. I've reconnected with people I haven't spoken to for a long time. I've read books that I've been meaning to pick up. Mm-hmm. I've, had, I've had time. And, you know, I've also found new sports. I've found new things that I didn't know my children could do. I'm doing exercise with my kids, which is invaluable because they're at the stage where they'll have their own lives and they'll leave home and they'll go on to what they need to do in their lives. And I'll look back on this as a real crucial time and invaluable time with uh, my wife and my children and uh, and other members of, of, of my family and friends. Chris, do you think you'll be a... A different coach when you when you get back to, to coaching because that's what you do. You've got an incredible job and opportunity with England. When when you get back to St George's Park and you you put the tracksuit back on, do you, do you, will you be different? A different coach? A different style of coach? That's a that's a very good question because I've always felt uh, my my style of coaching and managing has always been to show a lot of empathy and a lot of honesty to build trust and a relationship and loyalty between coach and player and coach and players so I don't think that will change I think communication has always changed in football players want more they seek more they want to know the why I don't think that will change listen uh, obviously England is 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 a part-time role I'm involved with uh, uh, another club at whatever level I, I think I'll be the same I really do I think there'll be Elements that um, you know I will have to show in my leadership of of a group of players, but I've always had those as my sort of core values. You know, showing self esteem and resilience and a confidence in what I'm doing, a confidence in an individual and a group of players, um, investing in them and having that respect uh, for each other and having that humility. That, you know, those core values. I don't think they they will change for me. But I do understand the world might look slightly different in how we go about, you know, our day-to-day lives. Well, you, we, obviously, sport and football is is slowly returning, and the games have started now. I mean, what what do you you said about the City game last night? Yeah, what did you what have you noticed with the games being back? What's different? What's 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 maybe um, being implemented within these games that obviously will disappear when we get back to normality. But what are the things that you think maybe may stay after after everything returns to normal? That's a very, very good question because apart from the crowd, and football is primarily about the players and the crowd and the supporters, it really is. There's always this connection between the team that's out there and the supporters, and the supporters let you know yeah. if they are enjoying what they're seeing and also if, if they're not. Now, it's sort of a one-sided thing in that the players are just playing football they're listening to the, their manager and their head coach and the staff and they're just getting on with it in a soulless bowl, really. It's great to see it. It's great to see these guys, but there's no sort of coming back. I, I mean, we're talking about a Premier League, but I was watching the playoffs, the League Two playoffs, mm. and there was no sort of sway, no momentum. There was no crowd to help their team if they're in a deficit or if they're ahead. There was no sort of kind of that connection, that synergy, which we all love, no matter who you are. You love to see that synergy and sort of the reaction of players when the chips are down and they're, they're on the back foot and how they come through it. There's none of that now. And I, I really sorely miss that as I'm watching football now. I, I, I'm enjoying watching Premier League and the, the playoffs. I really am. But it's not the same spectacle in regards of the crowd connection and reactions and what football brings to people what it brings to a community is huge and on a match day what it brings to those fans who 
have travelled to the other end of the country to watch their team put on a performance and win away from home or put on a performance where, you know, three quarters of the supporters are for you in your, your home stadium. That's missing. And I, I noticed that very quickly with the German games, that it was just a level playing field, which, OK, we always say it is 11 v 11. But ultimately, it's a test of your acumen. It's a test of your, uh, your mental state, your mentality when you travel away and you're in uncomfortable surroundings and you come through it and win. We're not seeing that at the minute. We're just seeing teams playing. They're not completely fit. I suppose in maybe four or five weeks' time, we'll see teams really flying, but it'll be the end of the season almost. So it's um, it's quite a, a surreal spectacle at the minute in watching games with a crowd and then you can flick over and there's no crowd. And it's a little bit surreal. It's almost like a pre-season behind closed doors game as we, we always play. But actually, it's part of the Premier League season. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre to get your head around, really. Chris, can I ask you one further question before I ask about the coaches who influenced you? Sure. Last week, I was speaking oh. to um, an assistant coach in the Premier League, so very much in the, the role you have, you have at England. And one of his players said after a behind-closed-doors game, he said, he asked him uh, you know, how, the game, how the game went, except for the coach. And the player said, he said, I'm not being funny, but all I could hear was you shouting and then shouting and then shouting some more. And he said, to be honest with you, he said, to be honest with you, the players all said it gets on our nerves because we can hear you now. Because normally, when, and they play at a stadium that holds the best part of 45,000. Sure. And he said, he, said to the, he said to the assistant coach, he goes, I promise you, because the lads found it really annoying, got on their nerves. Do you, do you, do you, think, do you think that coach behaviour might change as well? Because they've looked a bit quieter on the sidelines because there's only their voice to be heard, really, apart from a couple of doctors. Do you think that will affect coaching behaviour, coaches' behaviour in the future? Uh, maybe not in the future, but it definitely will now. Because you're quite right. I've been listening out for the industrial language. Mm -hmm. I've been looking at a coach or manager shouting to his defender or wide player on the opposite side of the pitch. He can hear him now. Before, there'll be a shrug of the shoulders. There'll be a a general sort of, I'm not looking over to you. I'm concentrating on the game. Or, which I always find hilarious, the sort of Chinese whispers game where the manager will tell a player who will tell the centre midfielder who will tell the left winger over on the opposite side and by the time it gets to him it's a different message. So I think now most coaches and managers will be very tactful in how they say things, how they relay messages onto the pitch. What I what I think they will do is is maybe like a lot of managers and I've done it before where you just go to the captain, no one else. If there's a break in play and you can get the captain's attention, you get him to relay the message directly to that player because then you know, or a senior player, you know that that message will get across to the individual in the correct manner. So um, it has been interesting. Quite a few managers have stayed quiet so far, um, but I'm sure, especially when the, uh, the stakes get a bit higher with regards to top four and also the bottom three, um, then I'm sure you'll you'll hear and see a bit more of the uh, demonstrative behaviour and the industrial language. Chris, I'm always intrigued when I see someone who's come on that journey from you know player to a, to a captain role to to, to then coach a manager. We we spoke to Dean Smith a few weeks ago actually, who said he was always you know thrown into that captaincy role, maybe a natural leader. I mean, were you and are you a natural leader, or is that something you have to work at quite a lot um, when you're a player and, and maybe still do have to? Yeah, I've been I've been captain not at every club, 
normally because the captain there is such a key figure and of course you've got to be uh, quite delicate if you're changing the captain and the reasons why yeah I've, I've i've naturally had that and it's more it's been more by the way i am more by the way i act on my day to day on my training on how how i am around people around new players um about setting the tone um about what's acceptable what's not acceptable that's always been part of of me maybe that's just been embedded in me as a, a young man from my own family, my own parents, and whether that's from my early days under Alan at Crystal Palace. But yeah, I was captain of the youth team at times and the reserves. Uh, I captained Southend for at least a season, if not two. I even captained Derby, but Derby had some good captains, so I wasn't too worried about being captain there. Uh, captain Charlton as well. Yeah, I've always kind of enjoyed the role of maybe being empowered to help others and leading and having respect for everyone um, because we all have our, our part to play. And even when you have disillusioned players or even when I was disillusioned through maybe not playing, uh, through injury or, or through form, that actually you still carry yourself in the correct way. You still sort of underpin what you're about and what the manager's about and what the club's about. And I think, you know, that's very, very important for a manager to have characters like that in his team and in his squad. Chris, you played until you were nearly 40, which tells yeah. me that A, you were very fit and B, you must have played when you weren't at your very, very best physically because you, I think you played 670 plus games. And although the game has changed a bit, Chris, the rules, the pitches, the pace, etc. Um, yeah. Do you think that the, the, the outlook of players now is different? Because I don't see too many playing 670, 670 plus games. I just don't now through all sorts of different reasons. So do you think their outlook has changed a bit, Chris, in terms of how they approach the game? Mike, I never ever correct you, but I've played over seven hundred and fifty. I think six hundred. Not everyone says that as my league, <gasps> but I'm, I can't forget the cup games. So um, because a lot okay, of them, okay, I was going league appearances. Yeah, yeah, everyone does. Good, you're, I'm you're not the only one. Yeah, yeah. seven hundred and fifty. <laughs> I played, and I was referring uh, back to Norman Hunter a few weeks ago. But he played five hundred and fifty, seven hundred and fifty, and he didn't miss a game for five years. And That's you're amazing. in the same bracket. You. Over 700 games, so you can't tell me you were fit as a fiddle for every single one because I, I, I don't think you wasn't. could be. So, no, I certainly wasn't. I think and, uh, there's I think... an element of your attitude to the game, um, mm -hmm. your self-worth, your resilience in you still want to perform, you still want to be out there as the leader of men, you still want to be contributing to the team. Um, and I think there's a big element of that. I know we're not all the same. Our personalities in football are all different. Some have to play at 100%. And any little niggle they're not playing. But I, I suppose there was a durability about players, which maybe is gone now. Now, is that because of the advancement of the game? Possibly, because players now question everything. And I think in years gone by, we may have just listened to the manager and that's it. I think there is a, a, a way of thinking now that players want to know why they're eating this. How will it benefit them? Why are we doing this training? Why are we doing this fitness training? We never used to question it. And I think we used to just get on with it and felt that our durability will get us through it. And we wanted to be in the team. And we didn't want to question too many of the methods. I think a lot of that uh, used to happen. I think I was very fortunate with regards to my fitness. But I did look out on that very early. How would it benefit me? How do I get 
quicker and stronger and how do I stay in the game? I definitely looked at that and the early advancement of sports science and the early introduction of that with regards to nutrition definitely added a few years on for me. Definitely did because everyone was saying eight years is sort of the average career. By the time you're 35, you're shot. But I've got to say at sort of 37, 38, I definitely felt a, a few years younger. But then I've got to say at 39, 40, I was definitely <laughs> ready to hang up the boots. It was taking me five, six days to recover. And I just thought, you know what, I've had a very, very good go at this 24 years since I left school. And uh, I think it's time to uh, to move on to a second career because literally that's what it is. The second career, Chris, now has taken you into working with your old teammate, Gareth Southgate, at England as one of your as one of your jobs because you, you, you do, you'll do other things in between. But how are you enjoying that role now working with, with Gareth at, uh, at England? With I know it's a long way away now, but building up to the Euros next summer. It's been an eye-opener, it's been an honour, and it's been enlightening for me. It really has because watching Gareth, watching Steve Holland in particular, watching Martin Margotson, Alan Russell, uh, the on-field coaches with the, with the outfield players and with the goalkeepers, and watching the staff, I'm quite amazed at how they put this all together in such a short space of time. It really is in just really empowering to to watch them work. And I remember after I had my, my interview and then got the phone call, I got the job. The worry kicked in, to be honest, because uh, it was the first camp in September. We were away, actually, for my 50th. And I was thinking, you know, normally I'll be planning sort of, having a, a, a party or, or a big meal with all my family, but I'm away of England. And actually I was thinking, I prefer this, to be honest. <laughs> but, but what I've got to say is the players get together on a Sunday or, or Monday if they've played uh, on the Sunday afternoon. They're in recovery. But all the while, we know there's a game on the Thursday or the Friday. And the organisation of how Gareth and Steve put the training together, put the analytical side of it together, and then to relay it to the players in a short space of time, really, to choose a team, to make sure every point is put across um, with regards to how we are defensively, uh, how we are in attacking transition, what we're like without the ball, uh, what the key messages are. I mean, it's put across. And by match day, everyone is clear. It's brilliant to see. Um, because, of course, you don't have the advantage of having them together for seven, ten days to really get across what we're doing. It's in sort of two or three key training sessions, two or three key moments, um, whether that's pre-training, after training, in the evening. It's all balanced because you've got to make sure that um, they're recovered and they're fresh and their focus is on the game. And again, you've got to remember they all play differently for their clubs. So all of a sudden... They're coming together and they've got to play in a set way. And that's where I've been really impressed by the messages that are relayed from Gareth and from Steve and from the support staff is all aligned. So then there's no grey areas. It's very black and white. The players know exactly what is required and what's needed. And I've been so impressed. I mean, I've learned so much um, from being there, from being amongst these players. It's been brilliant for me, the September October and November camps were great. I was looking forward to March and, of course, the tournament, but we know why that's not happening. So hopefully I'm still involved with them come 2021. 
you, are you encouraged to speak up and get, bring your own ideas because you've got your own experiences too, Chris? Are you? Are you? Do you? Do you feel able to speak and challenge? Because I know that Gareth likes to be challenged, doesn't he? he doesn't like you to sit Absolutely. there and just nod. Absolutely. I've, I've got to say, I, I, I spoke to Gareth uh, just before my first camp, and I, I was thinking, oh, do I need to come up with all these new different coaching sessions, and do I have to act differently and, and say different things? And Gareth said, no, it's, it's just the same. It's just the same. I, I want your views on certain aspects. If you feel something's not right, let me know. And I've got to understand when and where I do that. Would watch review of the games, review training. And I made sure in my head I need to contribute. There's no use me being there and not contributing. I have to contribute. And I have to speak up if I see things not right or why don't we maybe try this way or I agree with that because that only improves people improves an organization or a team or a squad if we challenge each other and that definitely happens you know I sat there and I, I thought yeah I agree with that and I would say so or actually I'm not too sure about that and Gareth would say why or Steve would say why and I would I would say and um, they'll take it away and obviously acts on it if they feel they have to. And there's been a few moments where actually, you know, they, they, they've come to me. Gareth definitely did. And he's spoken publicly about it when we were going out to Bulgaria. And we had the intel that there was going to be problems with the players um, with regards to racism. And Gareth spoke to me 10 days before and asked me some real pertinent questions, open questions. And I gave him uh, feedback as honestly as I could. And, you know, he, he acted on that. And I was really proud that I could help him come to a decision and come to a plan to implement on, on the evening. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant to hear how much, you know, teamwork there is behind the scenes, you know, with, with the coaching staff. And um, I guess a, a slight thin silver lining of COVID is that hopefully you'll be able to enjoy that role with, with the FA for, for many more months to come. Because obviously it'll be the tournament going on now and it'll be next summer. But you're, you're obviously working with Gareth and the England team primarily because of, you know, obviously you're a very good coach. But the opportunity came around because of the, the BAME initiative set up by the FA to help solve the challenge of underrepresentation across coaches uh, within football. Do you think that this has helped progress the opportunities and conversations around the lack of diversity um, of coaches you know, w- within the game? Well, of course, it's a, an extremely hot topic now, and rightly so. But what I, what I would say, the FA with this scheme, uh, I've been part of the PFA Management Committee and been chairman, been a trustee. They've always recognised the need for diversity in their makeups. I think the FA definitely saw a small acorn of putting a, a BAME coach with each team. That's the start. What, what I feel will happen and I know the FA have always strived to look at themselves and do things in the right way. They have to build on that now for me um, because they've started the process. So you have to start somewhere. Has it been wrong in the past? Maybe so. We should always remember the past and reflect on it. But what we should also do quite clearly is deal with the present and the future and make that look better for years to come, for generations to come. We have a duty, I feel, to do that. And Britain has changed. You know, modern Britain does look different. And I think people in the main accept that. But I think we, we've got to see that reflected now in the workplace. I think any organisation is better for diversity. I, I truly believe that because I think there, then you get a, an understanding of where people are coming from. 
a different understanding of how they've got there and why they're there and what their aspirations are. It can only help other people, regardless of their background. So I think it's important that, and we recognise that some people and some organisations have done stuff to look into this. But of course, people want more. And I think now organisations and certain CEOs and owners and chairmen, whether that's in football or in the workplace, they're looking at that now saying, okay, we need to do more and we strive to do more. Because there's, I think there's plenty of people out there who want to do so many good things in the game and maybe feel that the pathway isn't there for them. I've always tried to just keep on going, keep knocking that door down, keep hitting that glass ceiling. But I know there's plenty of candidates that have unfortunately have said, I, I just don't want to go through the heartache. And listen, we all get jobs, we all lose jobs. Uh, that that's that's a part of life. But I think you know there's a lot of black players, maybe a generation before me, that we've missed, and we shouldn't have missed. And I don't think we should do that now. I think we should make sure that there's players, whether they're coming to the end of their careers, that they can see a pathway in coaching, management, boardroom, technical director, if they want to stay in the game. Uh, I don't want to lose good football people with good football intelligence to agency or to the media. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, if they can just lend back and give their qualities back to the game, I want that to happen. I want, you know, players to have role models. I really do. I had one or two. And there's nothing wrong with having aspirations or being inspired by someone uh, from your background because that in turn keeps you in the game and keeps you striving to be as good as you can in whatever field you choose. Chris, I think we're in the middle of two storms at the minute. We've got the, the wretchedness of of COVID and now we've got the other issue of diversity and equality. I've yeah. been so impressed with football and footballers in the past few weeks, from Raheem Sterling to Wes Morgan to Marcus Rashford, who turned government policy on his head in six days. <laughs> it was, it, and it was truly remarkable to, to see. And we had even Ben Mee last night speaking beautifully. But Chris, do you think that yeah. football, particularly dressing rooms, because I mean, you're, you're in the, the best dressing room in, in, you know, in the country now, which is the England dressing room, but do you think that football and dressing rooms in particular can really lead the way now in understanding diversity and equality? Well, if you think about it, football dressing rooms have always been quite diverse, whether that's in colour, whether that's in where a player is from. You know, I spoke about Jim Smith earlier. Our dressing room at Derby was the most diverse dressing room I've ever been in in my life. And that was in the sort of, what, 96 I was at Derby. We had a Croatian, we had a Costa Rican, we had Dutch players, we had Danish, Italian, a Londoner, a Brummy, a Scotsman, an Estonian. I mean, we were diverse. But actually, we had one common cause. And that's what Jim leaned on. And actually, we made it work um, because not everyone spoke English or their English was very minimal. So actually, we, we were quite influential in that city. We moved from the baseball ground to Pride Park. We won promotion. We stayed in the Premier League. And we all had different backgrounds, but we had a common cause, which was football. And I think we need to build on that now. We're, we're seeing new, new age leaders now. We're seeing players outspoken where they were never outspoken before. And that's not because of where they're at with their financial status or whatever. They feel empowered now. They know social media will listen within minutes. You know, you're talking about Marcus Rashford turning around a, a policy that normally might take two, three years. It took six days. Was it six days? It was six days from the opening yeah. 
tweet to how do I help yeah. through to yeah. the through the through to the turning of the of the government policy six days. Now you can name and shame people now. You never used to be able to do it. You can basically put someone to the sword publicly and get a response. We never used to be able to do that. So players now are in a position to really influence and influence in a good way. You know, we, we know about the stories in the past of the misdemeanors of players and we accept, you know, not everyone's going to be an influential person. But I think now the stage is there. Maybe the stage wasn't there before because players maybe felt they weren't able to be outspoken. They didn't have the stage. It wouldn't get the gravitas and wouldn't get the coverage that you get now. And it's remarkable. It really is. I mean, in my lifetime, I don't think I would ever see a Manchester United centre forward turn around government policy. I never thought I would see Raheem Sterling from Wembley going through the troubles he had at Liverpool and moving from there. And even quite recently, playing for England in the World Cup and having a bit of a tough time to being so well spoken on Newsnight, relaying exactly what he feels and what many black people feel. It's, it's amazing to see. It really is. And we've forgotten that Marcus Rashford is the ripe old age of 22. Well, 22. I, I find that I, simply staggering at 22. Well, I kept putting it to where was I at 22? <laughs> I, I do, you know, and I was. Yeah, thinking, I, thought this, I, I thought the same last week, Chris. I, I couldn't dress myself <laughs> at twenty-two. <laughs> well, I was playing for Southend in what is the Championship. It was Division Two then, so that's how old I am. But I was playing down there and, and just getting on with a career, enjoying the camaraderie and the nights out. We used to play on a Friday. That's what I was doing. I, I don't think I would have said anything to the Prime Minister then for fear of what could happen to me. But there's no fear from Marcus. He's relaying it to what he went through as a young man and what his mother went through. And he's obviously during this pandemic, he's raised so much money and fed so many people and he wanted that to continue. It's remarkable. And I actually think that's partly not only down to what I've said, but also just Gareth. When you look at Gareth with Danny Rose and pre-World Cup talking about mental health, I mean, players would never, ever talk about mental health in a million years, even maybe five years ago. But now we're not scared about talking about it now. And I think the stigma attached to that previously was a big part of that. Players have always suffered. I can tell you that now, whether as a player, I've seen players suffer as a manager, I've seen players suffer through many things, whether it's personal, whether it's the anxiety of playing. I've seen players suffer. Uh, but now they're not afraid to say, I've suffered and I've had anxiety and I've, I've had uh, moments where I didn't want to get up and depression. Players are open now. And that's definitely been encouraged by, by Gareth, definitely. I think, Chris, Gareth has reduced the fear on the pitch. I think he's reduced the fear off the pitch. And... We've always heard it. He often talked about his team at Euro 96 with Tony Adams and Paul Lintz and Alan Shearer, seven club captains. Do you think that when you meet up again with Marcus Rashford and Raheem, I mean, they are leaders now. Do you think they'll be, do you think they'll be leaders on the pitch now because of what they've achieved off the pitch? I think Raheem's always been a leader on the pitch. I think he's grown at Man City under the tutelage of, of Pep. Um, and he's he's grown off it as well. So he's become that almost, as I said, an unintentional leader. But actually, he knows his voice. He definitely knows his voice. 
Um, he's at the top of his game and I actually think he's going to get better, which is quite scary. Uh, I'm so glad I'm not a left back these days because he is quite phenomenal. Marcus, I think, will grow now. I think he's had his moment now at 22. He's definitely uh, made a mark on United and he has at times for England, for sure. Um, he's a player who can play down the middle, can play wide. He's very adaptable. He's always been quite quiet. He's definitely found his voice. And I think there's always a moment as a young man where you, you, you find your voice in your life or in your career. And I think these two guys have. I think Raheem definitely pre, pre-lockdown uh, has found his voice. But definitely during this lockdown, Marcus has. And Raheem has just carried on his views and how he lives his life. But these guys, I think it can only add to England. It can only add to their respective clubs as well. And Chris, finally, because as you know, I could talk for hours and listen for hours as well, but I've got to let you go at some point. Chris, it's been fascinating, but you mentioned at the beginning that you've got involved in American football. You've enjoyed looking at that and learning about it. Through the last three or four months, despite the walking with a dog and seeing all the family <laughs> and connecting with people, because I think it's been a remarkable time for all of us. Is there yeah. one good book, one good film, one good series, one good programme you'd recommend to the Leaders Network, which... Just intrigued and inspired. It's just, it can be anything you like from, it can be comedy, it can be politics, it can be sport. Is there anything you think that really did just engage me on a a different level of thinking during the last few months? Well, it will naturally be sport, but I'm a big music fan. I'm a big Prince fan. So my my kids bought me uh, his memoir, which I read in about an hour, knowing me, (laughs) I devoured it. But I've, I've been reading... I'm actually reading three books, The Barcelona Way, and I picked up a Phil Jackson book, uh, which I Mm. bought years ago. And of course, because of uh, The Last Dance, uh, I've picked that book up. I mean, I've had it seven, eight years. It's called More More Than a Game. So I've just started that. American football has become my new go-to sport uh, because I've never really understood it from a sort of tactical point of view. And I've been so amazed with the all of all or nothing documentaries on Amazon. I've watched them all. Uh, the Philly Eagles, Dallas Cowboys. It's been great, great viewing for me. Great viewing. And actually, what I've learned, which I think should come into football, I know people have tried before, but I really think it should come in, is individual coaches. Because I know the facilities are, are huge. And you've got a quarterback room. You've got the defensive room. You've got the running backs room. We should have coaches for our defenders and our midfielders and our strikers. Well, why shouldn't, why wouldn't we? <laughs> and then that all comes into the head coach, you know, the American football, they have a head coach and no doubt he has an input on all the other facet, sort of facets that are off that. But ultimately he has the game plan, but he works with the coaches and they have an aligned way of working and a way of playing and how they, you know, protect their quarterback how they play their different plays through their quarterback. It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, American football and the system, and the college system, uh, it's, it's amazing me. I mean, I'm, I'm now watching the college team, the Michigan Wolverines. I've just started that. It's like watching a professional team and they're university students. It's, it's amazing. It's a great sport. I know it's quite long sport when you're there and stop-start. But actually, the sort of plays that they have to remember, it amazes me, you know, the playbook. I, I, I just imagine players over here remembering sort of 
50, 60 <laughs> different plays. You know, that would be something. But it's um, it's great, to, great viewing. Really is great viewing American football. And it is now definitely uh, an ambition of mine to at least go to a game, uh, whether that's over here initially, but I'd love to go and watch one over there. Super Bowl, if I get to watch the Super Bowl, well, you know, uh, I'll die a happy man, that's for certain. I recommend you keep in touch with leaders, Chris, because they are Super Bowl attendees every single year when it's back. And can I just say that the two books on my bookshelf to my right now, on my father's memory, are The Barcelona Way and The Phil Jackson Book, and I've read them both. Uh, and I, I reread the Barcelona Way more than once. I think it just—it's just a, a good read, and it's full of common sense and yeah. uh, also around and a brilliant culture and some brilliant plays. But Chris, you've brought everything to life there for me, and it's good to hear from you again. I hope we can meet up again one day because it'd be nice to leave our houses again safely and responsibly. And <laughs> and as you say, get get crowds back to football because, like you, I watched the most engaging game I've watched so far was was Cheltenham v Northampton last last night because oh. there was so much there was so much resting on it wasn't there so it's been fascinating yeah. Chris and thank you for your time and uh, if I may say so I know Gareth well and I know Alan Smith well I now know why you you are who you are because you've been you've been you've chosen well both as a coach and as a player so thank you very much Chris thank you uh, I appreciate that thanks a lot Mike thank you thanks, yeah, um, Chris really really appreciate that and, and Michael uh, brilliant chat, chat to you both Chris the very best of luck to you when you get back on that grass at St George's Park um, yeah. And there could be a third career as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. <laughs> but no, enjoy the round ball uh, when you get yeah. when you get back to St George's Park. And uh, thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for another episode. But if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then you can find many more like this on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or preferred platform. Check out our Twitter account too, as we post almost everything on there. And that's at Leaders underscore Insight. As you've heard, Chris is working with Gareth Southgate in the Football Association at the moment, and he and they are members of the Leaders Performance Institute, meaning they can engage with the teams across the high-performance network on a regular basis. If you're interested to become a member like them, then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high-performance. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation. Like I said earlier on, in today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels in 51 countries and helps identify talent to optimise their recruitment process for scouting teams around the world. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. Once again, thank you to John Porch and the team behind the scenes for making it all possible. Hopefully you're all enjoying these conversations like we are. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon. Speak soon.